keeping you informed and inspired. We love God. We ought to be able to talk about him. Getting you started on your day. With the latest in breaking news and information. From the Vatican to the White House and everything in between. It's serious. It's fun. It's your Catholic drive time. Now here's your host, Joe McClain. Praise be to Jesus Christ. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time. Had a little mishap there, but a little microphone button was off. But in any case, it's Thursday. It's Thursday, October the 27th. And we're just almost, we're so close to Friday. We're so close to the weekend, and I'm looking forward to it because right over the weekend, well, we got Halloween. Talked about that yesterday. It's going to be a, a fantastic opportunity for you and your family to celebrate Halloween Catholic style. Then after that, we have uh, All Souls Day, All Saints Day. Not in that order, I don't. It's different, right? Different order. But in any case, it's exciting. We're going to be off, I think, on Monday? On the 2nd. On the 2nd. Tuesday. On Tuesday. And then after that, on Wednesday, Joe McLean is due to be back. So uh, we're going to pray for him. We're going to pray for his family that they have a, a safe return. But in any case, today is Thursday, October the 27th, and we got a lot of stuff to get to today. Today is the feast day of St. Fermentius of Ethiopia. He brought Christianity to Ethiopia. Praise be to God. And at uh, 35 past the hour, we're going to consider early voting. Is it a good idea? Joshua Mercer is going to join us. He's the communications director over at Catholic Vote. And uh, considering the performance of the Dr. Oz versus Fetterman debate, uh, some might say, no, it's not a good idea, right? I mean, you're not really sure what you're getting into there. Uh, Joshua Mercer is going to join us at 35 past the hour to discuss that. And he might give us an update on Catholic Vote, and uh, maybe they have a voting guide or whatever. Uh, so we're going to check out uh, what they have to offer at 35 past the hour. And at 15 past the hour in our What's Concerning Us segment, we're going to talk about Alex Jones. Now look, I have to make the disclaimer. Alex Jones, you hear the name. Some people automatically say, conspiracy theorist. Other people say, wow, that guy is really awful. Some people say, wow, Alex Jones, he's cool. I'm not going to make any comments on this particular case, what he said about a, a, you know, a, a, a school shooting or anything like that. I'm not going to defend his position. But we're going to take a look at whether or not it's illicit to be fined a billion dollars for what seems to be a free speech, uh, uh, something that was covered under free speech. So we're going to talk about that in our What's Concerning Us segment. And also in our second hour, we're going to have Hector Molina, and he's going to give us a breakdown of the gospel this weekend. And you're automatically going to be the smartest guy or gal in your parish because you're going to know what the gospel is, what it means, and all of the little hidden in-between-the-lines things about the gospel. So praise be to God. But in any case, we have the illustrious attorney Brent Haynes here in the studio. Good morning to you, Brent. How are you doing? I'm doing well, Rudy, although I don't think I can afford to keep up these payments for the PR work you're doing for me. Uh, <laughs> Brian, you're a Catholic speaker as well. Uh, do you often do any of the uh, the speaking tours? Uh, how do people uh, reach out to you if they want to uh, they, hire you for uh, an event? They just can send me an email, and it's pretty simple. It's my name. It's Brent Haynes at Outlook.com, B-R-E-N-T-H-A-Y-N-E-S. Praise be to God. Awesome. And uh, we also have, uh, speaking of talks, we have Adrian Fonseca here on the ones and twos, as uh, Joe McLean says. Howdy, howdy. Praise be to God. It's good to be here. It is a good day it to is, be alive, my friend. It's a good, good day. day because I got this amazing card from Sienna Burrier, 
And Mr. Burrier is here in the studio as well. I don't know if he's uh, ready to say hello, but uh, in any case, hello, Mr. Burrier. Good morning. Welcome. Awesome. It's always nice to have guests here in the studio. Amen. Well, let's get to it. There's a lot to get to today. And let's start by praying for your holy intentions, the holy intentions of the Guadalupe Radio Network, and um, for the conversion of sinners, for those holy souls in purgatory, and for the repose of the soul of uh, my good friend Jordan Pacheco's grandmother. Let's pray. Join me in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thine intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, I fly unto thee, O Virgin of virgins, my mother. To thee do I come, before thee I stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not my petitions, but in thy mercy, hear and answer me. Amen. Good morning to you all. It's uh, Thursday, October the 27th. Here are your headlines this morning. This article comes from the Daily Signal, and the headline goes, SCOTUS orders Washington football coach fired for praying at games to be reinstated by March 2023. That's, uh, oh, you love a good comeback story here, right? The former Bremerton Bremerton High School assistant football coach who was fired for praying on the field after games who won his Supreme Court case earlier this year must be reinstated to his former position by March of 2023 and is entitled to reasonable attorney's fees from the school according to court documents that were filed on Tuesday. The U.S. Supreme Court ruled over the summer on Joseph Kennedy's case 6-3 to three in favor for the coach. Praise be to God. Justice is done. Drown News reports, this is a funny uh, headline, so you're gonna, you have to read between the lines here. Behaviors that helped keep us safe from COVID-19 are probably behind the surge in RSV cases, scientists say. RSV cases in the United States are 60% higher than 2021's peak week. The number of flu cases has also been increasing a little earlier than usual. Scientists think unparalleled actions, to put it bluntly, of the pandemic had unparalleled effects. Children build natural immunity to viruses when they're exposed to uh, to these viruses before they turn two. And the Epic Times reports Pennsylvania Republicans start impeachment bid against Philadelphia DA Larry Krasner. Republicans in the Pennsylvania House filed articles of impeachment on, on October 26th against Philadelphia District Attorney Larry Krasner, saying he should be removed from office for embracing left-wing policies that have fueled rampant homicide and violent crime numbers. Krasner has often defended his office's conviction, uh, conviction rate and asserts that the impeachment attempt is connected to a prior Republican effort to overturn elections. Uh, Krasner happens to be associated in a very indirect way with George Soros. And Breitbart reports, Daryl Brooks found guilty of first-degree murder for all of the six victims killed in Waukesha Christmas Parade Massacre. Daryl Brooks, the man accused of driving his SUV through a Christmas parade in Waukesha, Wisconsin last year, has been convicted on all six counts of first-degree intentional homicide. A jury found Brooks guilty on Wednesday morning of all 76 charges against him, including reckless endangering safety, hit-and-run involving death, bond jumping and battery with each count of homicide carrying a mandatory life sentence in prison just days before the parade massacre brooks had been released from prison for a mere thousand dollar bail thanks to lenient milwaukee county da policies it took the jury a little over three hours to reach its verdict and those were your headline news this morning 
God love you. The saint of the day is Saint Frumentius. According to the 4th century historian Tyrinius Rufinus, who cites Frumentius' brother, Edesius, as his authority. As children, around 316 AD, Frumentius and Eusidius accompanied their uncle Meropius from their birthplace of Tyre, which is now Lebanon, on a voyage to Ethiopia. When their ship stopped at one of the harbors of the Red Sea, local people massacred the whole crew, sparing the two boys who were taken as slaves to the king of Oxum. The two boys soon gained favor of the king, who raised them to positions of trust. Shortly before his death, the king freed them. The widowed queen, however, prevailed upon them to remain at the court and assist her in the education of the young heir, Ezana, and in the administration of the kingdom during the prince's minority. They remained, and especially Frumentius, used their influence to spread Christianity. First, they encouraged the Christian merchant presence in the country to practice their faith openly, and they helped them find places where they could come together for prayer according to the Roman rite. Later, they converted some of the natives. When the prince came of age, Asidius returned to Tyre when he stayed and was ordained a priest. Frumentius, eager for the conversion of Ethiopia, accompanied his brother as far as Alexandria, where he requested Athanasius, patriarch of Alexandria, to send a bishop and some priests as missionaries to Ethiopia. By Athanasius' own account, he believed Frumentius to be the most suitable person for the job, and he consecrated him as a bishop. Traditionally, in around the year 328, or according to others, around 340-346, this is when that happened, Frumentius returned to Ethiopia, where he erected his Episcopal See at Oxum. He then converted and baptized King Azana, who built many churches and spread Christianity throughout Ethiopia. Frumentius established the first monastery of Ethiopia called Dabasalama in Dugas Tembien. The peoples called Frumentius Kayesta Burhan, or Revealer of Light, and Abba Salama, which is Father of Peace. He became the first Abun, a title given to the head of the Ethiopian church. In about 356, the Emperor Constantinus II wrote to King Azana and his brother Sayazana, requesting them to replace Frumentius as bishop with Theophilus, the Indian, who supported the Arian position as did the emperor Frumentius had been appointed by Athanasius, a leading opponent of Arianism, the king refused the request. Ethiopian traditions credit him with the first Ge'ez translation of the New Testament and being involved in the development of Ge'ez script from an abjad into abujigdar, which is a, a syllabic language. He died around the year 383 AD, St. Frumentius, Pray for us. The Gospel of the Day comes to us from Luke chapter 13, verses 31 through 35. Some Pharisees came to Jesus and said, Go away, leave this area because Herod wants to kill you. And he replied, Go and tell that fox. Behold, I cast out demons and I perform healings today and tomorrow. And on the third day, I accomplish my purpose. Yet I must continue on my way today, tomorrow, and the following day, for it is impossible that a prophet should die 
outside of Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those who sent those sent to you. How many times I yearn to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, but you were unwilling. Behold, your house will be abandoned, but I tell you, you will not see me until the time comes when you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. The commentary today comes from uh, our good friend Cornelius Alapide, who says, The same day there came certain, certain Pharisees, saying, Herod will kill thee, as he slew John, thy forerunner. Christ seems not to have preached in Galilee at this time, as he had previously left it, but in Perea, in Judea, for Herod ruled over Perea as well as Galilee. Moreover, the Pharisees, by this falsehood, pretended that Herod was hostile to Christ, that they might banish him from among them, or at the very least that they might test his freedom and conscience and depress him by implanting in his mind the fear of Herod, and might thus drive him out of their country. Lest, says Euthymius, by his presence and miracles he might gain fame and attract a multitude, and perhaps, when going from Perea to Judea, he might fall into the hands of the chief priests, whom they knew to be contriving his death, as plain from St. John in uh, 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 chapter 7, verse 20 and 25. Herod indeed was not opposed to Christ, for he desired to see him and his miracles, as in chapter 9, verse 9. Nay, he would not condemn Christ when Christ was sent to him by Pilate, uh, Pontius Pilate, but sent him back to Pilate clad in white, a white robe, and in Greek that's Alba, as if, it, as if he were worthy of ridicule, but not death. Observe the Hebraism by which an indefinite time is put for a definite, as in Hosea, Theophilact uh, says. Euthymius says, Today and therefore tomorrow, that is, for some time yet, though a short one, that is about three months, for Christ appears to have said this a little before the Feast of the Dedication, which is kept upon the 25th of the month of Caslu, which answers to part of November and December, and he was crucified the following March. After this little short break, we're going to be back and we're going to discuss our What's Concerning Us segment. Is it, is it okay to find people a million dollars, a billion dollars? Some time back, I had a chat with some Jehovah Witness ladies, and they made the assertion that the first Christians didn't believe Jesus was God. That belief was a later invention. But is this true? No, it's not. Leaving John 1-1 off to the side for now due to disputes with Jehovah Witnesses over its translation, John 20-28 records the Apostle Thomas saying to Jesus, which literally translates from the Greek, the Lord of me and the God of me. John says of Jesus in 1 John 5.20, This is the true God and eternal life. Paul writes of Jesus in Colossians 2.9, For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. It doesn't get any clearer than that. There are many more passages, but these suffice to show that the first Christians did believe that Jesus was God. I'm Carlo Broussard with the ready reason for Catholic Answers, Catholic.com. 
day when each of us will be asked to review the movie of our life and give an account to God. We will sorrowfully relive the bad times and joyfully revisit the good. Thankfully, no matter what you've done, there is hope. Since Jesus came not to condemn the world, but to save it. So if you've been away from church for a while, we invite you to come home and find the peace that only comes from God. Visit CatholicsComeHome.org. Praise be to Jesus Christ. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time, keeping you informed and inspired. My name is Rudy Carlos. I'm filling in for Joe McLean, and there's a lot of headlines out there. You know, every night we uh, gather up all of the, the headlines, the best ones, the most prudent ones that uh, have some effect or that you should be aware of at least. But we can't get to all of them. And in fact, there's a lot of stories that we wish that we had more time to discuss. Well, that's where the What's Concerning Us segment comes in, where we find uh, a headline that's concerning to us and I'm sure would be concerning for you as well. Now, uh, you may know about Alex Jones, some of his uh, bombastic claims. Some call him a conspiracy theorist. Other people call him, you know, a patriot, et cetera, et cetera. Alex Jones is a very interesting character, just to say the least. And uh, he recently found himself in hot water after some remarks that he made uh, regarding a school shooting. And uh, the remarks have something, uh, they go along the lines of uh, he thought... Initially, he since backtracked the claim. He thought initially that some of the uh, some of the the parents who lost their their children in the shooting might have been crisis actors, or that they were brought in. He essentially had this idea that uh, looking at history, uh, things like uh, Operation Northwoods, he thought that the government might have some involvement in in creating what are called false flag operations. And so he initially made comments about it. He then backtracked them, and then he was uh, then railroaded for the comments he made initially. And now he finds himself in a situation where he has to pay a billion dollars after this Sandy Hook verdict. Uh, This article is from Breitbart. I'm going to share it with you, Adrian, here in the chat. Maybe you could share it with the screen. And the, uh, the article, as I said, comes from Breitbart. The headline goes, Alex Jones seeks new trial after $1 billion Sandy Hook verdict. Conspiracy theorist Alex Jones has asked a Connecticut court, uh, Connecticut judge, rather, to throw out a nearly $1 billion verdict against him and order a new trial in a lawsuit by Sandy Hook families over Jones's lies that the 2012 Newton school shooting was a hoax. Alex Jones seeks a new trial, uh, is what he says here. Hartford, Connecticut. Conspiracy theorist Alex Jones has asked... Oh, it looks like they're repeating this here. (laughs) Let's jump over. My apologies. Jones filed the request on Friday saying Judge Barbara Bellis's pretrial rulings resulted in an unfair trial and a substantial miscarriage of justice. Additionally, the amount of the compensatory damages award exceeds any rational relationship to the evidence offered at the trial. Jones's lawyers... Norm Pattis and Kevin Smith wrote in the motion. Christopher Matei, a lawyer for the 15 plaintiffs in the lawsuit against Jones, declined to comment on the filing on Saturday, but said that he and other attorneys for the Sandy Hook families will be filing a brief opposing Jones's requests. Twenty uh, first graders and six educators at Sandy Hook Elementary School died in the attack on December 4th, uh, December 14th, 2012. 
An FBI agent who responded to the shooting and relatives of eight children and adults killed in the massacre sued Jones for defamation and infliction of emotional distress over his pushing the bogus narrative that the shooting was a hoax staged by crisis actors to impose more gun control. Now, I always like to pick out law stories when Brent Haynes is in the studio because he is a crack shot attorney and I love getting his take on these stories because it's inside baseball uh, when most of the time we wouldn't even know what most uh, what what goes behind the scenes in these these trials. So it seems to me, Brent, that reading upon this story and and just briefly looking into the history of it, I've even uh, listened to Alex Jones on the Louder with Crowder show. He describes how he made this comment initially. He made it, you know, honestly. He thought it was a hoax. He backtracked it, and then he got railroaded for the initial comments. It seems to me that these comments were protected under under free speech, the First Amendment. Uh, what say you? That has never been true. Really? Um, Alex Jones was sued for defamation. We have the right of free speech in the United States. Mm-hmm. But uh, we do not have the right to go and defame people by saying things that are false, that are so false that it subjects these people to injury to their reputation. Uh, traditionally, there was uh, defamation was oral or verbal slant or ver- verbal defamation, mm. um, and then there's um, slander was oral defamation, and then libel would be written defamation. But really, it, it's all defamation. So, are you uh, are you not able to then theorize that something like uh, like an event of this nature could be an operation like a false flag operation? That would be defamation. No, you could certainly you could certainly theorize about that, but this this is why we have trials, mm-hmm. and the evidence here was just extraordinary. Mm-hmm. And people can go on YouTube, and I went on YouTube and watched some of it last night myself, and watched some of the uh, actually some of the trial proceedings where they replayed some of the videos. Right. You know, let's be clear just briefly about what Alex Jones did. Uh, imagine that you have suffered this horrible loss. Mm-hmm. Your child, as young as five or six years old, has been murdered in a school shooting, a place where you think you send your child to learn, a place where you think your child should be safe. Right. And then you learn that your child is lost. You, your child has died. You've suffered this horrendous, unnatural occurrence of the child burying the, par- burying, the parents burying the child. And then after you put your child in the ground, a man, a man goes on the radio, and he doesn't innocently say, and this is why we have the trials, he doesn't just innocently theorize Mm-hmm. Oh, this was a false flag operation. He goes on and on and perpetuates these claims without even checking to see if they were true, without even making any kind of uh, basic, diligent effort to know if they are true. Um, and there was testimony to that effect, for example, in Connecticut, mm-hmm. uh, where his and it's not just Alex Jones, by the way. You know, he has other people that go on the air. Right. I mean, this is an entire company he has. Um, he accused these people. Uh, these these parents of these children of being, uh, you know, actors, essentially. He accused mm-hmm. the entire operation of being a hoax. Um, he uh, did this to over and over and over again and just said things. We don't even want to repeat on the air here about these people. It was right. just it was just uh, cruel. So and. Brent, you know, the, the, I, I agree that this is, uh, not good. And, and I heard an interview with him when he did with Steven Crowder. And he basically said, yeah, it was bad. Those things that I did were bad. But, you know, I, I retracted it before I got sued. I came out and said that this is wrong. And, but however, 
more to the point, though, it's not really a question of um, I'm not really so concerned about the claims he made, because obviously everybody agrees that what he said was false. And I think it's unanimous. Everybody knows that, that they were not crisis actors. What concerns me is that let's just like because I don't think he was lying. I think he was legitimately uh, just wrong. He was incorrect. He just thought he convinced himself that they were, in fact, crisis actors. And he made that claim, realized he was wrong, uh, but it took a while for him to realize he was wrong and then retracted it. And maybe there should be some punishment because, you know, you, you did defame these people. Mm. But how, what punishment should someone get for defamation? Because it seems like getting fined $950 million is a little bit of overkill. I don't know anyone who can pay $950 million. That seems like... That's a very it seems good point. absurd. And so what exactly is the punishment for defamation? And because my concern is that this kind of action attacking Alex Jones in this way has a chilling effect on freedom of speech. People are going to be like, well, now if I if I say something that's incorrect that I legitimately think is true, am I going to get sued for nine hundred and fifty million dollars? That's going to make me like not want to say things that I'm like, you know, I have a theory that this this may be the case. I'm not 100% certain, but this is what I believe. Uh, that's going to make me want to hold back on saying things like that. So what do you say about that kind of thing, Brent Haynes? You have nothing to worry about. Look, there was no reasonable <laughs> basis for Alec, what Alex Jones said. This was not something innocent on his part. Uh, he uh, actually made money off of these claims. They got into some of this evidence because, you know, in the digital world, of course, you can track your listenership. You can track your Internet website hits. And what he does is he Alex Jones also makes money from the sales of uh, health and nutrition and other products that we don't even want to talk about on the air. So let me push back on that just a little bit, though. Uh, you know, I'm not really in either camp, but he does have a a, a show and the show is sponsored by. You know, it's it's funded by the sales of those particular things. So how can you track the, the analytics of that? Uh, you know, how much money did he make that particular day uh, based off of uh, what he said? I don't know. I just I, I find it hard to connect those two things when you're selling things to keep the show on the air. I mean, that I mean, that's just and that's I don't think the he normal made a billion dollars right? off of it either. Well, OK, first to go to Rudy's point, that's why you have trials. Mm -hmm. And we need to get to the real point here as to how he got in this mess at the second stage. But that's why you have trials and you do trace the analytics. You, you know when you run a certain video segment. You know when the money comes in. You know when the orders come in. You know when your listenership goes up. You know when your viewership goes up. And they got into some of that at the trial. Mm -hmm. Now, here's where Alex Jones really got into trouble. I mean, aside from the fact that he said things that were just cruel and indefensible. And, and you know, other people then would listen to Alex Jones and then went to these people's houses and confronted them. Some of them moved. Some of them had to move out of their residences and move several times. Mm -hmm. So these people have lost their children. They have this man on the air saying base and false things. They are accusing these people of lying. That is not protected by the First Amendment. Mm -hmm. He had no good faith basis for this. He did nothing to investigate whether or not it was true. He does all of that. But here's where he also – so that's not protected First Amendment speech. Now, here's where he also gets in trouble. Alex Jones just doesn't follow the law or follow the rules, at least not in these cases. So what happened in both the Texas case in Austin, Texas, this past spring and summer, and in the Connecticut case, is that he lost by default. See, 
he abused the legal process so much that the judges in both Texas and Connecticut finally said, you lose. And when they finally went to the jury, they weren't having a jury decision and hearing evidence on whether or not he had uh, defamed these people. He had already lost because he simply refuses to comply with the process. Now, one theory as to why he refuses to comply is because he doesn't want the, didn't want the jurors to see those analytics you referred to. And he didn't want the lawyers and the experts and the financial experts to really be able to go in and show the juries, the jurors blow by blow how on dates when he put forth all of these. We're running out of time here. So I want to get back to the, the question though. What is the punishment for this crime? Because we, let's just say you're, everything's correct. He is, he should be punished for this. Let's just assume that for the, for the argument, because we have about one minute left in the conversation. Real quickly. What is the punishment for this crime? Is one billion dollars, uh, justifiable? Real quickly, the jury goes through and they decide that in an individual case. In Connecticut, they went through and they decided juror by, or victim by victim and awarded the money. Mm. Now, uh, there's a principle called remitter. It's in the law, both in Texas and in Connecticut. Uh, Alex Jones can ask the amount to be reduced, or the judge can suggest that the amount be reduced. If the parties don't agree, then essentially the judge could order a new trial. That is unlikely. I don't see either judge putting these families through new trials again. Alex mm. Jones can appeal and argue that it is excessive. Uh, the problem here is his speech really is not defended by the First Amendment, and he waived all of his arguments on that by abusing the process. Lawyers have a saying that hard cases make bad law. Uh, this might be, these might be some of those cases where you get huge judgments because this man did these things that weren't protected by the free speech of the Constitution, and then he really abdicated, defaulted on his own ability to defend himself in court. Well, there you go, folks. Uh, your speech might not be protected. Best to know it. This is Dale Alquist with a Chesterton Minute. Have you ever noticed that sometimes it's hard to get along with your family? That sometimes the people in your family are downright uncongenial? Well, G.K. Chesterton says that is precisely why the family is so important. Because it is often uncongenial. Every family is filled with the same problematical people that you find everywhere else. And so anyone revolting against the family is simply revolting against mankind. As Chesterton says, Aunt Elizabeth is unreasonable, like mankind. Papa is excitable, like mankind. Our youngest brother is mischievous, like mankind. And so, if we can get along with our family, we can get along with anyone. Want more than a minute? Visit our website, chesterton.org. I'll bet you know by now that Amazon Smile is a great way to support your favorite charity. And supporting the Guadalupe Radio Network while you shop is easy. Step one, just start off at smile.amazon.com. Step two, choose La Promesa Foundation as your charity. La Promesa Foundation is the parent company of Guadalupe Radio Network. And step three, enjoy your shopping. Amazon will donate a portion of your purchase to the La Promesa Foundation, and it doesn't cost you any extra. La Promesa Foundation and Guadalupe Radio Network, thank you. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time, keeping you informed and inspired. And now here's a couple more headlines. WGCU reports Top Hunter captures 28 invasive Burmese pythons during summer contest in the Everglades. The winners in this summer's uh, come 
come from all uh, all over Florida. And uh, let's see here. The Florida Python Challenge was announced on Thursday in a contest that drew nearly a thousand professional and amateur hunters from 32 states, Canada, and Latvia, and removed 231 invasive Burmese pythons from the Everglades. Matthew Conception, uh, Conception captured 28 Burmese pythons and won the $10,000 grand prize for the most pythons caught. Dustin Crum won a $1,500 prize for the longest python, measuring just over 11 feet. Burmese pythons are not native to Florida and are are found in the Everglades ecosystem and negatively impact native species. A female Burmese python lays up to 100 eggs at one time. Catholic News Agency reports big victory. Felonies tossed in split verdict for priest attempting to rescue the unborn. A Pennsylvania court has handed down a split verdict for a Franciscan priest and devoted pro-life activist after he entered an abortion clinic to counsel women to choose life for their pre-born children. On Tuesday afternoon, Father Christopher, otherwise known as Father Fidelis, uh, was found guilty of two misdemeanor charges, but not guilty of a felony trespass and misdemeanor resist after he had entered a Planned Parenthood on August 27, 2021 with red roses and pro-life literature ready to hand out to women to help persuade them to choose life for their children. Praise be to God. And Town Hall reports, debate host responds to Fetterman's claims that captions were filled with errors. Nextar Media Group is rebuking the Fetterman campaign's blame game. In a statement, Nextar's executive vice president and chief communications officer, Gary Whiteman, explained that both candidates agreed to the technical setup for the closed captioning process weeks ago, which was implemented at the request of the Fetterman campaign. Both candidates were offered the opportunity for two full rehearsals with the, with the same equipment used in that night's debate. The Nextar statement continues before noting that Mr. Fetter, before noting that Mr. Fetterman chose to do only one. In fact, the, uh, they're talking about the, the rehearsal. He chose only to do one. Nextar's production team went to extraordinary lengths to ensure the effectiveness of the closed captioning process and to accommodate several last-minute requests of the Fetterman campaign. Now, we've invited our good friend Joshua Mercer, the communications director over at Catholic Vote, to discuss uh, this story and also early voting. You know, the the debate was aired after early voting had been uh, started in, in Pennsylvania, and I think it would have been a great uh, benefit to voters to have seen the debate because... Uh, Hey, look, I don't want to. I don't want to uh, to knock the guy down. He suffered a stroke earlier in May, and he has, uh, it seems, cognitive issues relating to the stroke. But uh, if you watch the debate, it was uh, it was really. I mean, it was hard to watch. You, you know, the not only was it politicians talking, so they never answer the question, and just it goes everywhere. But when you really look into the the responses from Mr. Fetterman. It's just they, they sometimes didn't really get to the point of the matter. So I think it would have been great to have the debate beforehand. But to speak about early voting, we've invited our good friend Joshua Mercer. Good morning to you, Joshua. Hey, good to be with you. Yeah, actually, um, at least 9 million people, as many as 12 million people, have already voted in the midterm elections. Wow. Um, specifically in Pennsylvania you have 635,000 people who have already voted, already casted ballots. Now, that's kind of why the debate over debates was raging all late summer um, as, you know, 
the Dr. Oz wanted to have several debates. He wanted to make sure they were early, long before absentee voting happened. Um, some states have early voting. Some states just have no excuse absentee uh, voting, which uh, Pennsylvania, Michigan, or like that. And so uh, it, it seemed that the Fetterman campaign wanted to delay as long as possible that debate because they were, you know, there was concerns that they would not do as well in the debate. So interestingly enough, they finally have this debate into, you know, late October, like I say, after, you know, 600,000 people have already cast ballots in Pennsylvania. And the thing is, you know, just trying to look at this objectively, mm -hmm. you know, I have my own concerns with Fetterman as a candidate on policy, but I just wanted to, for a moment, just simply examine, you know, the case here that we're talking about, like a stroke. Now, my own father, uh, you know, had a stroke this this year. Mm -hmm. And you know it's it can be very grueling. And my dad had uh, initially had difficulty just communicating. Yeah. Like the way it works is sometimes is that you have the thought in your head, but like it's like you're reaching to grab something off the shelf and the wrong word comes, and so you just kind of sometimes get this word salad going. Yeah, um, it can it, it can leave the person very frustrated, and I understand that. Um, so was. You know, with Fetterman, it seems like that was what was going on, where he was trying to articulate something, and it just wasn't coming out right. And he, he, and he gets up there, and he starts out by the debate by saying "Good night, goodbye," and it, and it was kind of you know a little right. left people a little flustered, like wait, what? We just started this, and you know what happened is uh, through the course of the debate, he just sounded like you know the answers he had. Um, there was a lot, a lot of awkward pauses, and he was just you know it. it, it it's not like, like you say, sometimes politicians, both parties, of course, mm -hmm. they, they want to give the answer that, you know, that oftentimes will avoid difficult questions or they'll misdirect and that kind of stuff. That's, you know, sort of standard fare. But he was having a difficulty just, you know, completing sentences and he was thinking one thing and saying the other. And so, you know, it really got to the point where, you know, hey, why didn't we have this debate like two weeks earlier before, you know, 600,000 people voted? You might have people now that say, wait a minute now, I want to reconsider what I did. Now they have to try to go back and say, I already sent in the ballot. Can I change? Because some states allow that, and that could even, you know, that I think opens up a whole can of worms. So I think, you know, I do think it's uh, nice that, you know, we allow absentee voting uh, for people who, you know, maybe they're traveling or maybe it's very difficult. They live in a nursing home and it's difficult to make it to in-person voting. I understand that. But by having complete no excuse voting and because of the COVID pandemic, having so many votes cast by mail and cast early, you do have this situation where people might have buyer's remorse. Mm. It's possible that, you know, a candidate could win, you know, that, I mean, you know, despite difficulty. I mean, the concern here is, of course, we're talking about not like city council, but the United States Senate is a grueling job. It's six-year term. I mean, you're talking about, you know, all the different things that a senator does, especially from a large state like Pennsylvania, I do think that there's, uh, you know, some valid concerns about this. Um, you know, I just, I think the push to have early voting and absentee, you know, so much absentee voting can can have its drawbacks. Yeah, definitely. And uh, to speak again about the, you know, the stroke, we're not, one of the things that was interesting, really, just the, the kind of way that uh, our society functions these days. I mean, I saw the the initial uh, the initial start of the debate as sort of a meme. And it was being shared around the, the Internet, and so I saw it, and I thought, 
oh, this is this is odd. I wonder wonder if he was serious because he started off by saying goodnight. And I thought, wow, maybe he's just like nervous or something. Well, I think most people didn't understand or know that uh, Mr. Fetterman had suffered that stroke. And I, I like that you brought that up because, you know, it really is. I mean, it, it's difficult to, to get the words out if you've had that sort of uh, cognitive um, damage. Uh, my wife is a speech therapist, and uh, in a clinical sense, <clears throat> when that happens, they, they oftentimes, like you were saying, you, you are thinking a word, but actually you're not able to, to say it or something different comes out. Um, which begs the question. Really. Yeah, I mean, like in, in the case of my father, I mean, you know, he's now months later, he's able to communicate a lot better, but he's still physically not able to drive. I mean, yeah. the doctors have said, you know, you really shouldn't drive yet. I mean, it, it, you know, and, and you're saying if, my, you know, if I said to my father, like, okay, it looks like you've been doing the speech therapy well, the physical therapy's been going well, but the docs are like, you really shouldn't, you know, drive right. a vehicle. And I thought to myself, if my dad was running for the United States Senate, I'd say, Dad, it's it's time to time let to someone else take your spot. Yeah, you know, and that's I, I'm just surprised that that wasn't occur to someone. You know, the, earlier about two weeks ago, there was a a reporter. Uh, her name was Dasha Burns. She's with the NBC. Okay, so NBC News is not considered by any means a conservative outlet. Right, and she was interviewing. Uh, this the same candidate who had the stroke, John Fetterman, and she said it's pretty obvious in my conversations with him uh, that he had trouble even understanding small talk. You know, just the kind of small talk you kind of break the tension, like, "Hey, how's it going? How's your wife? How's this?" That kind of small talk, mm -hmm. it just wasn't clicking. And the only time he could really answer a question is when it would be typed out and it would appear on a screen. Mm -hmm. It would take a you know take a minute or two, and it'd take a while before he get back to it, and he. She just thought, you know, I think people deserve to know just, you know, in terms of the candidates, like that this is what's going on and he's having difficulty with this, you know. And so what was the reaction, right? It's not just that she was attacked by a lot of liberals on Twitter, okay? I mean, right. that's, I suppose people are partisan or whatever. But it's that so many other reporters who claim to be mainstream reporters with mainstream outlets attack the reporter. Like, how dare you yeah. let this out of the bag? That was basically what they were getting at. And like, oh, no, this I don't know what she's talking about. This guy's fine. I talked to him for an hour and everything's mm -hmm. perfectly fine. It's like, why is it that we're lying? Like, what is the purpose of this? You know, so I don't think it's doing anybody any favors, you know. But I, again, sometimes it looks like even members of the corporate media have their political favorites. Oh, yeah. The candidates they want the most. And they're going to step, they're going to put their foot down on the yeah, that's true. Well, hold that thought, Joshua Mercer. We're going to be right back after the short network break. And afterwards, I'd like to ask you about uh, Trump-supported candidates. How are they doing? We'll be right back. Your Odyssey begins at the University of Dallas, the premier Catholic liberal arts university in Texas. With campuses in Irving and Italy, UD's rigorous core curriculum sets it apart. An education rooted in the great works of Catholic and Western tradition. An education that ennobles and enables students in their pursuit of wisdom, truth, and virtue. Undergraduate, graduate, and certificate programs available. Start your college odyssey at the University of Dallas today. Go to udallas.edu to learn more. 
Hello, this is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question for your non-Catholic friend. Is the very contemporary popular idea that a faith alone salvation, which occurs by repenting of sins and asking Jesus in one's heart, sufficient to enter and warrant heaven upon death? I say, no, it's not. Many evangelicals will say, just follow the Romans road, which is four verses snatched out of the book of Romans, and when followed, heaven is promised. Well, here's your three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. Number one, the Bible. The Gospels, nor the Epistles, nor the Apostolic and early church fathers ever wrote anything like this mechanical approach. Secondly, the marriage experience. After wrongdoing and temporary departure from your family, does a simple one-time, hey honey, I'm really sorry, bring you back into the family? And thirdly, teaching of the Catholic Church, water baptism, loving God and neighbor, which is displayed by consistent acts of charity while maintaining a perseverant hope of heaven is the surest way to God's eternal presence. And my pesky comeback, that Romans road is presumptuous and significantly dumbs down the holy value and price of salvation. And remember, that Romans road has some potholes. Praise be to Jesus Christ. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time. We have a wonderful guest on right now, Joshua Mercer from Catholic Vote. He's the communications director over there. And right before the break, we were talking about fitness to serve, talking about uh, John Fetterman and uh, the Pennsylvania race. And uh, wow, I mean, it's it's difficult to say, but out of charity, I think I think we really have to to look at the situation, right, and just say, look. This is a really difficult job. You represent a lot of people. This is this is the big leagues, and you know it's 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 horrible that he had a stroke. But at the same time, it's a very demanding job, and so uh, we're talking about this this race here in early voting. And I know Adrian, you had a question about uh, about early voting there. Right, exactly. The you know I've heard a lot of people talking about different things in regards to early voting. I've heard uh, some people say things like, you know, uh, vote early because then uh, they want to change the the atmosphere of uh, of everyone. Like, okay, the only people who only early vote are, are Democrats or people who are leftists. Therefore, you know, if you if you're a pro life, you need to vote early. I've also heard the opposite of people saying, you know, you vote at the last day, vote on election day because then there's less likely that funny business can happen. And uh, and I'm like, where's the truth at in in this? What's the what's the good strategy, or does it not matter at all? Because I know um, I was concerned. I'm like, well, if I wait to election day, what if something comes up? What if I get a flat tire? What if who knows what might happen? Uh, and then maybe I won't be able to vote. And so, uh, what do you think is the well, uh, the big I mean, picture? There's... There? Yeah, I'm sorry to cut you off a little bit there, but I guess you know, there's first of all, we have to make a distinction. I mean, some states like Florida have. Uh, developed early voting and they've been doing it for so many years now and early voting is 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 usually what that means is you actually vote in person you just do it early okay so instead of doing it on election day of november 8th you might be doing it you know like people in florida can go vote right now in person uh and and so what you're seeing in terms of florida is that a lot of the people who are mailing in ballots right now through the mail are democratic voters they tend to be i mean i'm, I'm just giving it to you how it is mm. um and then people who are republican are voting in person so they're they they the, my concern has always been chain of custody like if i if i cast my ballot by mail i'm relying on the fact that the postal service is going to make sure it delivers it on time oh. to where it needs to go yeah. right as opposed to early voting in person you at least have that opportunity to know okay i know my ballot made it there now of course, there's out, there are always going to be shenanigans or whatever, but uh, it's less likely to have, to have a problem if it's uh, if you vote in person. So early voting in person, I have less of a concern with. But again, I just don't think it should be 
you know, three or four weeks ahead of time. I mean, that's what they're doing in Florida right now. I mean, I, I kind of wish it was a little bit closer to the election. Like if you just said, you know, the four days before election, you could vote in person. I think that'd be better because then, you know, everyone has an idea like, okay, we're settled on what the, what's going on in the, in the debates. We're settled on what the issues that we're talking about. And there's no October surprise. You know, we've already had a chance to, that's what usually happens. October surprise when you, one of the candidates campaigns or someone friendly with one of the candidates campaigns throws some monkey in the wrench and they, you know, some sort of, you know, rhetorical grenade. I had never knew of this about this candidate. Um, and, and it gets really awkward with early voting, like, you know, um, to, you know, those kind of scandals that pop up, you, you have less of a chance to debate those. Uh, it's better to have a, a, an understanding of, okay, the election day is November 8th. You can vote for four or five days ahead of time. I, I'd much prefer that system. Uh, than to have so many people vote by mail or even in person, you know, weeks ahead of election day. Yeah. That's sort of my concern. Yeah, and then you find a bunch of the uh, the ballots in a, a mail crate somewhere in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> well, picking right. up on that, Joshua, this is Brent Haynes. Um, in the 2020 presidential election, there was an issue over mail-in ballots in Pennsylvania. Uh, there were uh, some legal issues that uh, – the Trump campaign and others tried to take the U.S. Supreme Court where they didn't hear anything. Uh, there was an issue there where the court essentially said, or one of the justices said, you know, we're sure they'll preserve the evidence. There was no order that to preserve the evidence. And then that evidence or the ballots, for example, the envelopes ballots came in, uh, were destroyed, if I'm remembering that correctly. But my point, my bigger point is this issue of mail-in ballots has been in the courts frequently in Pennsylvania. And just last week, the, the uh, Pennsylvania Supreme Court said they would hear a case filed by Republican groups over whether or not mail-in ballots that are not dated should be counted, even though Pennsylvania law says they should be dated, and even though there's a federal uh, court that has ruled that the dating requirement is just a technicality and the votes have to be counted anyway or, or you're violating federal civil rights voting laws. So Yeah, I mean, it gets kind of tough because, I mean, the understanding is if – they received the ballot before November 8th, before Election Day, then obviously it's arrived before election. You know, the, 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 the need for the requirement is so that you at least can have verifiable proof that was received beforehand. But if you obviously received it beforehand, you know, but you can't really, like, stamp a date on it or something like that. So there's a lot of these issues. I just feel, I feel like, you know, I, I do think, you know, current, you know, here's what's interesting. You have a lot of people that say we – you know, there's a lot of critics of the Electoral College, right? And this is the system we have right now for electing a president, which each state has a certain number of electoral votes based on population and the number, of, you know, the representation of Congress. And what that means is that all 50 states plus Washington, D.C. get to run their own elections, right, their own state elections. Um, and it's ultimately the states that decide who gets elected president and who they decide to send it, you know, to the Senate and to the House. If you decided to, like, let's say, get rid of the electoral college, which some, a lot of, a lot of times, liberals are the ones calling for this, especially since uh, two times in in the last, you know, twenty some years, we've already had Republican candidates that had fewer votes than the other ones that won because of the electoral college system. I don't want to get into that too much, but the point is, if you, you know, if you got rid of that system, let's say, then it's like, well, wait a minute, now I need to know that I, there's voter integrity in Los Angeles. Mm. You know, I need to know. Suddenly, I do care what's going on in Philadelphia, and I do care what's going on in Detroit, in Miami, 
you know, as opposed to if I just live in just Michigan, I own, I care about Detroit, right? Cause it's my state. But then you, you know, you, then you really need to say, we need to have uniform laws. You know, we need to have, you know, ballot integrity and all that kind of stuff. So you open up a big can of worms. Uh, it's, it's, you know, it's hard. And when you have a continental power of 3000 miles, like it makes sense to have, you know, rules that make sense for your state. So anyway, wasn't there a ruling in 2020 that ballots in Pennsylvania that arrived after the election had to be counted? And is that going to be an issue this year? Right. I mean, because what they said was if it was, if the, if the, I think it was if the, um, on the envelope, the person signed it and dated it and before the election, um, and it was mailed and stamped before the election, even if it took a few days to receive it and it was after the election, it still had to be counted. Again, that's one of those things where because there was this national emergency for COVID in 2020, states decided, you know, uh, election officials in states decided to just kind of go rogue. And they said, well, we'll allow these ballots if they were signed and dated, or even if they weren't dated, if they were, if the, if it went into the mail before election day and received a few days after, we'll still count it because they would, if it were this year, let's say, and it arrived November 9th, they wouldn't count it because, oh, it was after election day. They'd say, well, wait a minute. Now it was mailed beforehand. So again, this is one of the concerns that with the, the COVID, they just decided to change their ways on this. And, um, you know, in Michigan, they, they dropped strict requirements for signature verification. So it used, it used to be they would look at the signature and say, well, let's look at against how this person voted last time and the signature that we have in file for their driver's license to make sure this is the right person signing it. And they just eliminated all those requirements, basically. Mm. So, you, you know, you got that's the kind of again, this is one of those things where if the signature verification, if they decide to lower their standards on it, say, okay, well, that's valid, then they put, they put that ballot in the s- stack of ballots, and they run it through the machine, they count it. And then if a few weeks later they say, well, wait a minute, should you have really counted that ballot? And like, well, whether we should have counted it or not, it's already in the pile and it's already uh, counted. Joshua, still going back. We have, a, we have about three minutes left in our conversation. And, you know, I, one thing that's really concerning me as I'm talking to a lot of really faithful Catholics, good people who are saying, and I, and I sympathize with this position. They're saying, you know, all the candidates are not good. The Republicans, the Democrats, they all support bad things. And so I'm just not going to vote because I don't want to participate in this uh, system where I have to vote between the lesser of two evils. So I'm just not going to vote. Uh, what would you respond to people who make those claims? I know a lot of faithful Catholics uh, who hold that position. Well, listen, I mean, like, for example, in the case of Pennsylvania, that we were talking about earlier, John Fetterman and uh, Mehmet Oz, both candidates actually believe in the redefinition of marriage. I think yeah. I disagree with both of them. I think they're both very wrong on that issue. When it comes to abortion, one of them says it's sacred, the killing yeah. of innocent life. He considers that to be sacred, John Fetterman. Uh, Mehmet Oz is, you know, kind of pro-life-ish. Um, I mean, the thing is, I think the way people look at voting uh, too often is sort of like the way we do social media. It becomes so very personal. And I, I kind of want to encourage Catholics to think of it in a different way, that it's really a corporal action. Okay. So, you know, is, is it like I, I'm verifying and standing up for exactly what this person and everything stands for. And I'm, I'm saying he's the best person ever. And I want him to be my babysitter. And I want him to, you know, be the guy that, 
you know, I, 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 I want to hire us for a job. I mean, <laughs> and I have them. You know, it was like, hold on a second. What we're talking about here is, you know, this person, can he, can he perform the functions of the office? And does he agree with me on, you know, a, a majority of things? And can he, and I guess I just look at it as, will he do less evil? You know, will he, you know, can, and can I can persuade him to try to do things better? So, you know, if you look at this case, I guess they're both flawed candidates, let's say, for yeah. example, in Pennsylvania. But like, you know, it was one candidate says abortion is sacred and the other candidate says, well, I'm, I'm mostly with you. I feel like if an issue comes down the pike and I want to talk to him, hey, should we, should, should taxpayers have to pay for abortions? I know how one person's going to act no matter what. He says it's yeah. sacred. So Set in stone. And the other candidate's like, well, I, you know, and I, I have at least the ability to try to persuade him closer to where I'm coming from. So, right. you know, I'm not saying that, it, you know, th- is this a perfect system? No, it's not a perfect system. I mean, I, it, it's like democracy is the, is the, is the worst system except for everything else. I mean, so that's what Churchill <laughs> would say. You know, so I mean, what Church are you going to do? I mean, I like to say it like, you know, look, you have an election. Coming up, you try to make a difference. Then yeah. after this election, you just, you know, put up your, kick up your feet and don't do anything anymore. No, you call these congressmen, you call these senators and you, you get push. involved in organizations like Catholic vote. You read the loop. You know, yeah. You let me, uh, let me just, uh, get, let me just get you to talk about Catholic vote and, uh, you guys have a voting guide out right now. Yeah. I mean, a lot of these swing states were hearing the candidates on the issues. Uh, we're also just like letting people know, uh, we're sending out messages all, all the time, letting them know where the candidates stand. So go to CatholicVote.org and you can see a lot of this information. Very good. CatholicVote.org. Thank you so much, Mr. Mercer, for joining us today on Catholic Drive Time. That's going to do it for this hour. After this short break, we're going to be right back. Don't go away. More Catholic Drive Time on the way. This is Jesuit Father Robert McTague, host of The Catholic Current, where we bring Christ to the world and the world to Christ. We look at current events through the eyes of faith. I hope you'll join us each Monday and Friday for guests and topics you can't afford to miss. That's The Catholic Current, heard Monday and Friday right here on the Guadalupe Radio Network at 4 p.m. Central, 5 p.m. Eastern. Hello, this is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question for your non-Catholic friend. When you walk into your non-denominational church or your megachurch, what do you see? What stands out to you? Well, here's your three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. Number one, observations in a Catholic church. You will notice at least eight items, all of which have religious, historical, or biblical significance. Secondly, what are those items? As soon as you walk in, the can't-miss baptismal font, a stone altar, stained glass windows, 14 stations of Christ's passion, statues, a gold tabernacle, a lit candle near the tabernacle, and a large crucifix. Thirdly, my take. So, what seems to fill your church and truly move you toward Jesus? Oh, I know you don't need a physical or superfluous objects to move you toward Jesus. He's everywhere and in your heart. And that is true. But tell that to Moses, David, and Solomon, who were under strict and exact directions from God on how to build his house and then fill it with his Shekinah glory. I mean, does a comfy chair, does a flashy Fender guitar, does a well-fashioned stage move you toward contemplation and holiness? Remember, stages are for entertainment, but sanctuaries are for worship. I've been listening to Guadalupe Radio for a couple years now, and I think it was a bumper sticker I saw on somebody's car one time, and it's a radio station that I don't have to be concerned about or worried about. When the kids and I are driving, 
I don't have to worry about inappropriate items. It's just the opposite. It's educational. I've learned so many different topics and on different subjects that I couldn't believe being a Catholic and being baptized as a child. There's so many things I didn't know. And now in these past couple of years that I've been listening in, I've learned so much. Are you on the CDT Insider email list? Hi, Joe McLean here. And every week I send you cool stuff straight to your inbox, goodies that you're not going to want to miss. Go to grnonline.com forward slash CDT and get signed up today. Hi, I'm Deacon Joe. I'm Thomas White, and Deacon Joe and I represent the Catholic Radio Quest, and we thank you for listening to KSHJ, 1430 AM, Catholic Radio throughout Metro Houston on the Guadalupe Radio Network. Because I happen to be in that camp, you know, the camp that Adrian mentioned of uh, people who are just black-pilled, as they say, about voting. And I figured, what's the point? What's the point? I don't know. Maybe I'll vote. Actually, I can't vote. I have to, uh, I think I missed the registration deadline. I'm, I'm still in the process of getting all my Texas documents here. You know, getting the, uh, the silver belt buckle and the 10 gallon hat and, uh, cowboy boots and, uh, you know, all that sort of stuff. But, uh, Brent, uh, I know you had some advice about voting. Do you care to share that advice with, uh, with our dear <laughs> listeners? <laughs> You know, when you live in Chicago, you pick up some bad habits, you know, they just sort of rub off on you. Um, (laughs) Blame it on Chicago. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, my advice, though, following up on Joshua is I find a lot of times when I talk to really conscientious Catholics, I mean, good people who are trying to do the right thing, that they really impose a purity test on the candidates they vote for as if they're putting their personal endorsement on the candidate. That's not what politics is. You know, in an election, there will be a winner. This is a very practical exercise. It, you know, it's a craft. It, it's, you know, it's an art. It's not a science. It's a craft. It's not an art. And Joshua did a good point, for example, when he talked about the two candidates in Pennsylvania and their views on abortion. Look, we know where one of them stands. He's just absolutely going to be for abortion on, up, to the, up to the moment of birth. Yeah. Now, yeah. with Dr. Oz, maybe he's not as strong on abortion but i'll bet you we could persuade him not to support taxpayer funding for abortion right, right. i bet you we could persuade him not to vote for a law that would nationalize a right to abortion which is what the other side thinks mm, another sure. thing i encourage people to and i do give a talk on this issue another thing i encourage people to think about is you're not politics is a team sport you're not just voting for that candidate and when it comes to legislative bodies such as your local city council or your state legislature, or the United States Congress. And here with John Fetterman and Mehmet Oz in Pennsylvania, we're talking about the Senate. You're voting for a, you're really voting for a team. Because what happens is that legislative body has to organize. They form committees. They form subcommittees. They have chairman of those committees. Uh, Nancy Pelosi is Speaker of the House because no matter how many pro-life Democrats are elected, and there is at least one from uh, uh, West Texas, actually, uh, they go to Washington, D.C., and all the Democrats vote to put her in power. So even if you're a pro-life Democrat and you support a pro-life Democrat because he's pro-life or she's pro-life, what happens is they go to D.C. and then they vote for a pro-choice or pro-abortion Right, we basically structure. have a parliamentary system at this point where everyone votes party line. But it is very it, party line. It's, yes, it's sad, but you know, I have a lot of good friends, like you mentioned. I have a lot of friends who are very Catholic 
Uh, it's honestly, it's amongst usually the, the people who are monarchist. Um, and I would consider myself a monarchist specifically if I'm the monarch. Uh, <laughs> but until I become king, I think we should, uh, continue voting because, you know, like you, Brent was saying, I have these friends and this is in Texas. And so Texas, it's either Governor Abbott or everybody knows who Beto O'Rourke is because of his, uh, running for election for the presidency. And he, I mean, Greg Abbott has publicly said that as long as he's governor, he wants to make sure that abortion stays illegal in Texas. I have a lot of disagreements with Abbott, but he said he'll keep abortion illegal in Texas, uh, whereas Beto O'Rourke says he wants abortion up until the moment of birth. So this is a this is a black and white issue to me. And so, yes, I agree that I, I'm very skeptical of the current political system. But until we have something else. I, we have to make these steps because otherwise it's not just higher taxes, lower taxes. And those things affect people's lives. Those are real things that affect people's mm. lives. But it's not just that. It's also literally human life. It's literally people living or dying. So I think it's irresponsible for some of these people to just say, you know, I think the system is whack. I don't agree with any of the politicians. So I'm just going to abstain from voting altogether. I think that's very um I don't think that's a good idea at all. So I, that's just my opinion, but I I firmly believe that because I have a lot of good friends who are faithful Catholics. I love these people. They're, they're dear friends of mine who hold these positions, and I just think, guys, I get it. I, I think the system can be better. Let's pray. Let's keep active. We, we can pray about this. There's not just one solution. There's not. We, there's many tools in the toolbox. We can pray. We can have public square rosary rallies. We can petition. We can uh, write our senators. We can do all these things and then vote. We can do all of it. It doesn't mean we have to only choose one or two tools in the toolbox. We use all the tools in the toolbox. And I think that's the thing that people uh, make mistakes at. Well, the yeah. other thing about people not voting is, look, of course, we live in a fallen world. So guess what? We're going to have imperfect candidates. We're going to have imperfect systems. But also, here's another point. You might choose not to vote because you think none of these people are worth your vote. Guess what? Somebody's going to win the election anyway. Mm -hmm. Somebody is going to govern you anyway. It is better to do some good than to do no good. And it is certainly better to try to do some good than to let other people decide what is going to happen. Uh, people are really abdicating their responsibility when they, do, when they don't go out and vote. Another issue is when... Uh, you know, we have well-intentioned people who go and vote for third-party candidates in the United that might work fine in another country. But in the United States, we have a two-party system. And you might, for example, have a pro-life candidate from a pro-life political party. Guess what? All they're going to do is siphon off votes from one of the two major parties that supports pro-life positions. Mm. And that makes it easier for the pro-choice party to win. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot to consider there. I personally am on the fence about it, but uh, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna do a little bit of soul searching there because it's hard, you know. You think you're you think you're actually signing off on something that you don't want to be a part of. So, Why don't you check and see what Alex Jones thinks on that? <laughs> okay, we'll do. Well, in any case, uh, we have our good friend Hector Molina on the line and. Hector's joining us today to talk about the Sunday Gospel that's coming up. And, uh, Hector, what's the Gospel this Sunday? Well, we have a passage from the Gospel of Luke, which we've been examining uh, for this uh, year three of our three-year liturgical cycle, uh, the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. And we continue journeying along with Jesus as he makes his final pilgrimage to the holy city of Jerusalem, where he will be put to death, and we have a description here of 
a an encounter that he has with the chief tax collector of Jericho. Mm. Jericho is about uh, 17 miles northeast of the holy city of Jerusalem. So it's practically at the doorstep to the holy city. And this was a, a popular uh, stopping off point for pilgrims who were making their way to the holy city for the pilgrimage feasts. Now Jesus is on his way obviously to the Holy City for the Passover. And it would be natural for him to stop off at Jericho because it was a very lush and verdant place for refreshment. And it was a city teeming with activity and beauty. Mm-hmm. And so Jesus enters into this city and uh, between last weekend's gospel and this weekend's gospel, uh, the lectionary skips over a number of different encounters that are not recounted, but let me just preface this by saying that one of those encounters is with the rich young man. Ah. As you remember, the rich young man was asking about eternal life, and Jesus responded, well, keep the commandments. And he says, yes, I've kept all the commandments. What do I still lack? And then Jesus, looking into his eyes and into his soul, challenges him. He calls him to task and says, listen, if you want to be perfect, sell all that you have and give to the poor and your treasure will be great in heaven, and come follow me. And we know that he went away sad because he was clearly too attached to his possessions. So now we find Jesus entering into Jericho. He's just healed a blind man by the roadside, and word is spreading that Jesus the prophet is passing by. And we're presented with Zacchaeus, and Zacchaeus is... In the Greek, the archipelones, which means the chief tax collector. Mm-hmm. So he's the big honcho. Now, we, we have examined a number of different instances where Jesus is either dining with tax collectors or he's literally choosing tax collectors to be his followers. And he has been criticized because of his dealings with tax collectors. Well, now he's going for the big honcho. He's going in. Spiritual and gospel guns ablazing because he has his sights set on this chief tax collector. Okay, it it reminds me of uh, when I was growing up. uh, The popular advice was, well, if ever you get into a a a fight, so to speak, you know, somebody comes to attack you, and there maybe there are a couple of guys. You always go for the biggest one. If you take out the biggest (laughs) one, then the others are going to follow suit. And so Jesus here, he's going in with his sights set on Zacchaeus. But Zacchaeus, curious, he wants to see Jesus. Mm. He hears the buzz. He hears the commotion. He wants to see him for himself, but he has a problem. (laughs) He is short of stature, (laughs) the gospel tells us. And this is a massive crowd. Think about Times Square on New Year's Eve. There's just no way. And, you know, when you see footage of New Year's Eve, you have New Yorkers, and I'm I'm a, a native New Yorker, uh, climbing up the, the you know the telephone poles and and the, the traffic poles because they want to get a good view of what's going on, the mm. ball dropping. So Zacchaeus, he doesn't care. This is what I love about Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, he doesn't care about people criticizing him, you know, because he's an important guy. He's the richest guy in town, he's the <laughs> yeah. biggest house in town. But he's like, no, 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 you know, I want to see this Jesus. So he makes the effort, and he's willing to sacrifice his reputation, a little like a fool, 
climbing up a sycamore tree. Mm. Now, Jericho is a city of palms, luscious palm trees, but he climbs up a sycamore tree because they were lower to the ground, their branches extended out. It would be easy for a short man to climb up this tree. So he climbs up, and he literally, Rudy, he goes out on a limb <laughs> to see <laughs> Jesus. And Jesus is passing by and shocks him and says, Listen, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for I must stay at your house today. Well, I mean, if this didn't shock Zacchaeus enough to make him fall out of the tree, <laughs> it certainly, it, it, it must have put the fear of God in him when he heard his name, because this is an important person. Jesus, is not, Everybody's there to see Jesus, mm. and yet he's calling Zacchaeus out. And I can't imagine him not thinking at first, oh, I'm in trouble here, <laughs> yeah, because the prophet is calling my name. My reputation precedes me. But no, Jesus says, make haste and come now, for I must stay at your house today. And it's a beautiful encounter because Zacchaeus obeys the word of Jesus. And it reminds me of, you know, the, the account in, in Joshua uh, chapter 6 with regard to the walls of Jericho coming down. Remember mm. that Joshua, the successor of Moses, was leading the Israelites into the promised land. And they crossed over the Jordan, and the first encounter they had was with the city of Jericho, a fortified city. And so it's Joshua who leads the Israelites to victory over Jericho. Well, who's Jesus? Jesus is the new Joshua, because Joshua is another form of the name Jesus. Mm -hmm. Jesus is, is the more Greek form of Joshua. So the new Joshua is passing through Jericho like the old one, and he's going to knock down the walls in the heart of Zacchaeus. He's going to conquer the richest and the most powerful man in the town wow. in order to win him for the kingdom. And he goes in, and essentially, just as the Israelite priests had to, with the people, make circuits around the city of Jericho, geez, and, and shout and blow the trumpets for the walls to come down, Jesus, with the shout of his voice, calling the name of Zacchaeus, is able to knock down the walls of his heart, the walls of sin. And in order to literally pick this short man from the tree, as if he were picking a fruit, he was picking <laughs> oh, wow. the fruits of his repentance, picking that fruit of repentance from that tree to come down because he must stay at his house. And essentially, the people criticize. Oh, look, look at this. Jesus, we thought he was a holy man. He's going to stay in the house of a sinner. Now, it's interesting. Let me end off with this because I know I'm, I'm getting too excited and we'll, we'll overextend ourselves. <laughs> but the, the irony here that's lost on many of us is the very name of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus is a Greek name, Zacchaeus, which means pure and righteous. And here we have at the end this notorious sinner being redeemed and made righteous by Jesus and his call. Jesus has a call wow. in your life, my brothers and sisters. Listen to the word of God and come down from that tree where Jesus wants to come into your life. Oh, wow. Thank you so much, Hector Molina. That was wonderful. I could listen to you all day long talking about the gospel. But it's time for our game show. Call right now, 1-877-757-9424.
In 1 Timothy, it says that Jesus is our sole mediator, yet we pray to Mary and the saints. Is that going against the Bible? 1 Timothy 2 verse 5 says, There is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. By praying to the saints, we're accused of going against the Bible because it seems we are making the saints mediators between God and man, not just Jesus. In the Old Testament, we see that Moses, Abraham, and Job interceded on behalf of others. That's mediating between God and man. Plus, we know that it is okay to ask others here on earth to pray and intercede for us. That's mediating between God and man. So once again, we have a situation where a passage of the Bible is being misinterpreted and misunderstood. There is only one mediator between God and man, the man Jesus Christ. But as members of the body of Christ, he allows us to share in his mediation. Scripture says that we have only one foundation, Jesus Christ, 1 Corinthians 3.11. But Scripture says that there is more than one foundation, Ephesians 2.19 and 20. Scripture says that we have only one Lord. Lord Jesus Christ, Ephesians 4, verses 4 and 5. But Scripture says there is more than one Lord, Revelations 19, 16. Scripture says that we have only one judge, Jesus Christ, James 4, verse 12. But Scripture tells us there is more than one judge, 1 Corinthians 6, verse 2. Contradictions in Scripture? No, not when these passages are read in context. Jesus is the only foundation, Jesus is the only Lord, and Jesus is the only judge. But we are members of Jesus' body. Therefore, we are able, according to the graces given by Christ, to share in Jesus' role as foundation, as Lord and as judge, and in other aspects of Christ as well. Another example, as a father, I share in God's role as the Father by His grace. And so also the saints in heaven can and do share in Christ's role as mediator. A beacon of truth in a troubled world. This is the Guadalupe Radio Network, radio for your soul. Welcome to another round of fear and trembling. <laughs> the Catholic trivia game show that helps you work out your salvation by the seat of your pants. It's a 50-50 chance and prizes are involved. Avoid the weeping and gnashing of teeth. Call now to take your shot. 877-757-9424. And now your host, Joe McClain. Praise be to Jesus Christ. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time and our game show, Fear and Trembling, where prizes are at stake. Now, some of you might be wondering, how exactly do you play this game? How do you how do you do this? What is this? What what's the prize? I'll tell you in just a minute what the prize is. Actually, I'm not going to tell you until tomorrow. But fear and trembling. You don't have to know the answers. Because I'm going to ask Brent Haynes, the lawyer, the attorney, the legend. And I'm going to ask Adrian Fonseca, the Thomist, the theology major, the guy who has a degree in everything. And one of them is going to tell me the right answer. And the other one's going to tell me the wrong answer. And all you have to do is discern who is telling the truth, who is telling the lie. And every answer goes into the coffee cup of divine providence to win this week's prize, which happens to be a grab bag type thing. It's a secret. It's a mystery. I thought I would entice you with mystery this week. And I'm not going to reveal to you what the prize is, but you're going to go in for it today. And tomorrow, I'll reveal what it is, and I'll reveal who the winner is as I draw from, or rather, what Mr. Brent Haynes draws from the coffee cup of divine providence and picks a name. But in any case, we have Mary, our good friend here from Houston, on the line right now. Mary, good morning to you. Good morning. 
And Mary, you're calling from Houston. Uh, we're in Houston too, but uh, we're wondering, is it brisk outside? Um, actually, it's uh, lovely outside this morning oh, so far. Wonderful. Thanks be to God. I can't wait to go out there after the show. Mary, what parish <laughs> do you go to? Um, I go to St. John Newman. St. John Newman. Awesome. Very nice. God. Well, Mary, have you ever played the game before? Do you know I have how, not. Do you know how it works? Yes, I do. Okay, well, then uh, then you know that uh, lawyers, they can't be trusted. Uh, actually, I work for lawyers. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, and I can't well, then confirm. You know. <laughs> then you know. Right? <laughs> She's like, I can't say that out loud. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's get started then. Uh, Mary, I'm going to uh, start with Brent Haynes today. And Brent, let's start off with an easy question here. I'm going to ask you... Uh, who is the patron saint of typists? That is sort of easy. We don't have many typewriters left these days, but we still type on our computers. Ding, ding, ding. Um, the uh, typewriter was invented, as typewriters we know it was invented in the 1860s in the United States. Really? And that is around the time that the great saint Catherine Drexel was getting going. Mm. And she went around, did a lot of work uh, with Native Americans, for example. She's a very practical person. You can go and see how she would use pencils down to the little nub. So she was very practically oriented, and she is the patron saint of typist. Okay, Brent's on the board for St. Catherine of Drexel. Adrian. Yes, sir. What say you? Who is the patron saint of typist? Ah, yes. Well, as someone who actually identifies as a Ph.D. in in typology, that refers to um, typing, uh, not not oh, anything to do with the not Bible. biblical. No, typology. not biblical typology. Oh, that's, that's different. Okay. That's a different kind got of it, typology. Got it, got it. Uh, well, yes. Yeah, so clearly, that is Francis de Sales because he wrote all these pamphlets huh. that he would distribute all over the place. He would type them out himself. Uh, well, it would be in type. That was for sure. Ah, okay. Well, Mary, you have options here. Brent says St. Catherine of Drexel, and uh, Adrian says it's St. Francis de Sales. What say you, Mary? Um, I think I'm going to go with Brent. You can go with Brent. Are you sure? Yeah. Oh! Oh, no. Mary, do you have a typewriter? I used to. I do not anymore. I've always wanted one of those. I like the click-clack of the keys. Very soothing. Kind of like Adrian. I'm going to go to Adrian for the second question here. (laughs) Adrian, what ornament is blessed by the Pope and offered to cities, countries, or sovereigns as a token of appreciation for their loyalty? Yes, well, unfortunately, this does not really happen too much anymore. In fact, I'd be very curious if it happens has happened in any time recently. But it would be a golden rose. The Pope would bless... A golden rose, and he'd bestow it upon someone and offered it to a city, a country, or a sovereign as a token for appreciation and loyalty. What are we talking about? 10-carat 10, 10 gold, 14-carat gold? I don't know. I don't know. It has probably pure gold, as pure as they could get it. Solid gold. Uh, considering um, considering the, the papacies, uh, the grandeur of the papacy is probably solid gold. Mm, bad to, golden bad to guess. rose. That's a good song about Our Lady of Knock. And uh, speaking of Knox, I'm going to go to uh, our good friend Brent Haynes here. Brent, what ornament is blessed by the Pope and offered to cities, countries, and sovereigns as a token of appreciation for their loyalty? Mary, I just want to remind you that I am a lawyer and you can trust me. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, 
Well, you know, a lot of times we just we just uh, walk by these things in our our quick visits or rushing to get into mass or something. You know, when you first walk into a church, often into the lobby or in the narthex, there's often a a large portrait type photograph of your oh. local bishop and, of course, of the Holy Father. Mm. So the the what the Pope gives out is a portrait painting of him, but it's signed. Oh, he autographs it. It's it's autographed by the Pope, to not, my not by fan. the pa- You know how when you go to a restaurant and and they'll have maybe celebrities who visited the restaurant yeah. and they sign oh. their name and it goes up on the wall. The Pope does that for so, he signs their wall. Huh. He signs the Pope portrait. signs his portrait that goes oh, wow. to people. All right, Mary, cities. I should start doing that, giving out pictures of myself and signing them. That sounds like yeah. a good idea. I think I encourage that, Mary. <laughs> <laughs> you have options here, Brent Haynes. Thinks it's an autograph, an autograph portrait, and Adrian says it's a golden, solid gold rose. What say you, Mary? I'm gonna have to go with Brent again. You can go with Brent. Are you sure? Uh, uh yeah. No, I don't think you're sure. Oh no, <laughs> Brent. Brent, what's going on, Brent? I, I Tricky Brent, man. Can't trust <sighs> lawyers. I'm gonna can't give. I'm lawyers. gonna give that to Mary. Mary, you're in for one. And I'm going to go back. I think I think I, I misled her when I suggested she could, trust, she could trust lawyers. Yeah, this, this is what happens when you trust lawyers, Mary. You didn't give me a retainer, oh, Mary. He Brent's, Brent's he the kind of, we didn't have the attorney-client relationship. He wasn't getting paid enough to give you a true answer. Brent's the kind of lawyer that would slam you with a billion dollars. Don't worry. I'll give. I'll here. I'll give uh, Brent twenty bucks right now. Now, now he's on your side. <laughs> All right. Last question. I'm going back to you, Brent. Brent, gospel means what in English? The gospel means good news. Good news. And that's why sometimes you'll see, like, the good news Bible sometimes out there. Oh. A lot of our evangelical friends, you know, they like to have their many different versions of the Bible. Is that but, why it feels so good when we talk about the gospel with uh, Hector Molina? You feel good because it is the gospel. That's right. It is the good news. Very good. All right, Adrian, what say you? Gospel means what? In English, the gospel. Well, you know, the good news sounds sounds really good. Um, at least that's what the news tells me. However, I'm gonna go with book. Book. Yeah, I'm gonna go with book. The gospel. If you translate it, if you uh, so, if you take the word gospel, you translate it into Greek, and then from the Greek, you translate it into Hebrew, and from the Hebrew, you translate it into Arabic, and then from the Arabic, you translate it into the Old English into modern English. You get book. Book. Yeah. It's very simple. Very clear. So, Anybody can do it. Very uh, obvious. So when you conclude the gospel and you say the gospel of the Lord, you're the just saying the, the book of the Lord. Yep. Mm-hmm. Huh. Well, all right. Mary, <clears throat> you have options. Some good options, some not so good options. Brent says gospel means good news. And Adrian, however, strangely says, gospel means book after being translated from 50 different languages. Mary, what do you think? Okay, I think Brent has finally redeemed himself. I'm going to be really good. That is correct. <laughs> and that is good news that even lawyers can get redemption. That is true. <laughs> even, it, was, it was a 20 bucks. It was a 20 bucks. I handed it 20 bucks. He was like, all right, finally, you're paying me. I, I, I'll help you now. 
I you know, know, I think I when our blessed Lord was talking about rich people, he was actually talking about lawyers. It's very difficult for lawyers to get into. <laughs> the, 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 tax, the tax collectors of the day. Brent's nodding his head. He's like, he's yep. like, he's yeah. like not even going to deny it. Not even deny he's it. like, dang. I'm just going to sue you for defamation. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Mary, you're in for two into the Coffee Cup Divine Providence. Tomorrow we're going to reveal the prize and we're going to draw a name from the cup. And perhaps it might be you. We're going to put you on hold, and we're going to get your information. But in any case, thank you so much for playing with us this morning. God bless you, and Mary keep you. You're very welcome, likewise. Uh, I love this game show. It's so good. I like talking to the people calling in. And, uh, wow, what a great show today. It was really a fascinating show. We had Joshua Mercer. We talked about Alex Jones, a couple of lawyer uh, questions there for Brent. And uh, it's been, Brent, it's, you know, I know it's not over yet. We still have tomorrow to, to get through, but I just want to say thank you for being in here covering for Joe while he's out. It's it's always good to talk to you about these things. Hey, it's always a pleasure to be with you all, and um, I'm glad the listeners out there have Catholic Radio and have good programs they can rely on like this. Not to put too much of an ad on, you know, glory for it. But. Glory and amen. Well, uh, that's going to do it for our show today. If you want to join us for the after show where we let our our tie down a little bit, we loosen it up, let our hair down and talk about all kinds of different things. Conversation is usually led by you. If you want to join us on any of the social feeds, make sure to go to grnonline forward slash CDT and you're going to see all of those social media sites linked there. So you could join us on Facebook, you could join us on YouTube, you could join us on Rumble, you could join us on Odyssey, you could join us on LinkedIn. All of these different social feeds, join us there. We love interacting with you, and you can do it live while we're on the after show. Praise be to God. May God bless us and Mary keep us. And until tomorrow, God love you. Thank you for joining us on Your Catholic Drive Time, where it is our pleasure to keep you informed and inspired. Join us Monday through Friday at the same time, right here on your favorite Catholic radio station. Don't forget to connect with us. Just go to facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Again, that's facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Be sure to share more than just us today. Share Jesus with everyone you meet. Bye now, and God love you. Guadalupe Radio Network now brings you the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass from the chapel at Our Lady of Corpus Christi in Corpus Christi, Texas. Welcome to the Holy Mass at Our Lady of Corpus Christi Chapel. Today is Thursday in the 30th week of Ordinary Time. The intention for today's Mass is for all of our online viewers and for those joining us through Guadalupe Radio. In Christ there is no east or west, in him no south or north, but one great family bound by love throughout the whole wide earth. In him shall true hearts everywhere their high communion find, his service is the golden cord, close binding humankind. 
In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And with your spirit. Brothers and sisters, let us call to mind our sins, and so prepare ourselves to celebrate the sacred mysteries. I confess to Almighty God, and to you, my brothers and sisters, that I have greatly sinned in my thoughts and in my words, in what I have done and in what I have failed to do, through my fault, through my fault, through my most grievous fault. Therefore I ask, Blessed Mary, ever Virgin, all the angels and saints, and you, my brothers and sisters, to pray for me to the Lord our God. May Almighty God have mercy on us, forgive us our sins, and bring us to everlasting life. Amen. Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Let us pray. Almighty, ever-living God, increase our faith, hope, and charity, and make us love what you command, so that we may merit what you promise. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. Amen. A reading from the letter of St. Paul to the Ephesians. Brothers and sisters, draw your strength from the Lord and from his mighty power. Put on the armor of God so that you may be able to stand firm against the tactics of the devil. For our struggle is not with flesh and blood, but with the principalities, with the powers, with the world rulers of this present darkness, with the evil spirits in the heavens. Therefore, put on the armor of God that you may be able to resist on the evil day, and having done everything, to hold your ground. So stand fast with your loins girded in the truth, clothed with righteousness as a breastplate, and your feet shod in readiness for the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, hold faith as a shield to quench all the flaming arrows of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit which is the word of God. With all my prayer and supplication, pray at every opportunity in the spirit. To that end, be watchful with all perseverance and supplication for all the holy ones and also for me, that speech may be given me to open my mouth, to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, so that I may have the courage to speak as I must. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Blessed be the Lord, my rock. Blessed be the Lord, my rock. Blessed be the Lord, my rock, who trains my hands for battle, my fingers for war. Blessed be the Lord, my rock. My mercy and my fortress, my stronghold, my deliverer, my shield in whom I trust, who subdues my peoples under me. Blessed be the Lord, my rock. 
O God, I will sing a new song to you. With a ten-stringed lyre, I will chant your praise. You who give victory to the kings and deliver David, your servant, from the evil sword. Blessed be the Lord, my rock. Alleluia, 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 Alleluia. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace to those on whom his favor rests. Alleluia, Alleluia, Alleluia. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Glory to you, O Lord. Some Pharisees came to Jesus and said, Go away, leave this area, because Herod wants to kill you. He replied, Go and tell that fox, Behold, I cast out demons, and I perform healings today and tomorrow. And on the third day I accomplish my purpose. Yet I must continue on my way today, tomorrow, and the following day. For it is impossible that a prophet should die outside of Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how many times I yearn to gather your children together, as a hen gathers her brood under her wings. But you are unwilling. Behold, your house will be abandoned. But I tell you, you will not see me until the time comes when you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The Gospel of the Lord. This morning's gospel, we hear Jesus, in a way, comparing himself to a mother hen who gathers her brood underneath her. The primary reference is, of course, the fact that a mother hen is willing to gather her brood under her wings in order to protect her chicks from predators and even from fire. She is willing to lay her body on the line in order to protect her babies from being destroyed or from being harmed in any way. When we think of this comparison of a mother hen to Jesus, of course, we know then that Jesus is the one who literally sacrificed and gave up his body in order to draw us to himself, in order to save us from sin and to save us ultimately from death. Jesus' expression of longing toward Jerusalem to gather them underneath himself and to protect them from sin, slavery, and death it also becomes apparent that this process of gathering also involves an act of the free will of we people. In other words, we have to be able to respond, to walk underneath Jesus in order to be sheltered and protected by him. He doesn't absolutely force us to come underneath him. I suppose in today's first reading we, see, we hear St. Paul referring to something similar when he tells us to put on the armor of God in order to protect ourselves from the seditions of the devil. When we think of putting on the armor of God, I think there's a few things that can come to mind that we would do well to ponder. The first one would be to say the armor of God is to be found in truth. We live in a day in a culture with profound intellectual confusion where all sorts of different ideologies are proposed to us 
we are taken away from God in every way by the different cultural environment that we live in, or at least what is proposed to us. And it's a reminder that our minds, our intellects, need to be grounded in truth, which can be found in a very special way in sacred scripture, where we encounter the words of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who opens to us and shows us the path to salvation and happiness in life. And, of course, in the magisterial documents of the Church, which for 2,000 years have been a sure deposit of the faith to help lead us in matters of faith and morals. And this certainly means, or is part of putting on the armor of God, to go to the sources where God has revealed himself and that we find in Scripture and in Church teaching. Another manner, of course, of putting on the armor of God is to be found in the practice of virtue. Virtue, of course, are those firm dispositions to do the moral good whereby we find ourselves more and more able and at ease in rejecting evil and flying toward discipling Jesus and doing as the Lord Jesus does. This, of course, would be opposed to putting on vice or viciousness that we again see around us. And really, unfortunately, in our culture, we see vice oftentimes promoted to us as being something good and even something to be celebrated. Virtue is another way of putting on the armor of God. And finally, I think we can say that we are called in putting on the armor of God to really strive to live in an atmosphere of grace, where our celebration of the sacraments, our frequenting of the sacraments, our prayer life with God, our relationship with our Blessed Mother, that all of these things really become an armor of grace around us that help to prevent us from falling into some of the cultural distractions which get proposed as trying to be our safe haven from the challenges and problems of this world. But living in this environment of grace or this atmosphere of grace really is an intentional decision that we have to make to say every day of my life I'm going to root my life in my relationship with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit I'm going to strive to live in his grace. And all of those distractions that get posed out there to draw away our attention or to provide us kind of a temporary comfort that we see, to really look at those things as not ultimately satisfying the needs of our soul and not ultimately protecting ourselves underneath the cross of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so, my brothers and sisters, as we go forward today, let us ask God for the grace that we would always run to be beneath the cross of Jesus, to know that is where salvation is found in his sacrifice on the cross. And let us ask that we would always put on the armor of God, that we would strive to live in truth, that we would practice virtue, and that we would always strive to live in this atmosphere of grace that God provides to us in the sacraments and in our relationship with him and our Blessed Mother. Amen. Trusting in our Father's love and mercy, let us bring our petitions before him. We pray for our Holy Father, Pope Francis, and for all bishops, for their physical and spiritual well-being. We pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. We pray for government leaders that they would be inspired to enact just laws that protect and safeguard the dignity of human life from the first moment of conception to natural death, and laws which don't violate the natural law. We pray to the Lord. 
Lord, hear our prayer. We pray for the sick and the suffering, that they would be given consolation in their faith and the courage and perseverance to unite their sufferings with Christ on the cross. We pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. We pray for our family, friends, benefactors, for those who have asked for our prayers, for those joining us online and through Guadalupe Radio Media, and for all those enrolled in the Salt Mass Association. We pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. We pray for an increase in vocations to the sacred priesthood and religious life. We pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. And we pray that every day we would strive to put on the armor of God to live in truth, virtue, and in God's grace. We pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. And for those intentions that we hold in our heart, we pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. Merciful Father, we thank you for hearing our petitions and granting our prayers through Christ our Lord. Amen. Christ Church shall glory in his power and grow to his perfection. He is our rock, our mighty tower, our life, our resurrection. So by his skillful hand the Church of Christ shall stand the master builder's plan he works as he began and soon will crowd with splendor christ people serve his wayward world to whom he seems a stranger he knows its welcome from of old he shares our joy, our danger. So strong and yet so weak, the Church of Christ shall speak. His cross our greatest need, His word the vital seed that brings a fruitful harvest. Pray, brethren, that my sacrifice and yours may be acceptable to God, the Almighty Father. May the Lord accept the sacrifice at your hands for the praise and glory of his name, for our good and the good of all his holy church. Look, we pray, O Lord, on the offerings we make to your majesty, that whatever is done by us in your service may be directed above all to your glory, through Christ our Lord. Amen. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit, lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right and just. It is truly right and just, our duty and our salvation. Always and everywhere to give you thanks. Lord, Holy Father, Almighty and eternal God, for although you have no need of our praise, yet our thanksgiving is itself your gift. Since our praises add nothing to your greatness, but profit us for salvation 
through Christ our Lord. And so in company with the choirs of angels, we praise you, and with joy we proclaim, Sanctus, Sanctus, Sanctus Dominus Deus Sabaoth, Plenisum Celi et Terra, Gloria Tua, Hosanna in excelsis, Benedictus, qui venit in nomine Domini, Hosanna in excelsis. You are indeed holy, O Lord, and all you have created rightly gives you praise. For through your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, by the power and working of the Holy Spirit, you give life to all things and make them holy. And you never cease to gather a people to yourself, so that from the rising of the sun to its setting, a pure sacrifice may be offered to your name. Therefore, O Lord, we humbly implore you by the same Spirit, graciously make holy these gifts we have brought to you for consecration, that they may become the body and blood of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, at whose command we celebrate these mysteries. For on the night he was betrayed, he himself took bread, and giving you thanks, he said the blessing, broke the bread, and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take this, all of you, and eat of it, for this is my body which will be given up for you. similar way when supper was ended he took the chalice and giving you thanks he said the blessing and gave the chalice to his disciples saying take this all of you and drink from it for this is the chalice of my blood the blood of the new and eternal covenant which will be poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins do this in memory of me mystery of faith. We proclaim your death, O Lord, and, and profess your resurrection until you come again. Therefore, O Lord, as we celebrate the memorial of the saving passion of your Son, his wondrous resurrection and ascension into heaven, and as we look forward to his second coming, we offer you in thanksgiving this holy and living sacrifice. Look, we pray upon the oblation of your church and recognizing the sacrificial victim by whose death you will to reconcile us to yourself. Grant that we who are nourished by the body and blood of your Son and filled with his Holy Spirit may become one body, one spirit in Christ. May he make of us an eternal offering to you so that we may obtain an inheritance with your elect, especially with the most blessed Virgin Mary, Mother of God, with blessed Joseph, her spouse, with your blessed apostles and glorious martyrs, and with all the saints on whose constant intercession in your presence we rely for unfailing help. May this sacrifice of our reconciliation, we pray, O Lord, advance the peace and salvation of all the world. Be pleased to confirm in faith and charity your pilgrim church on earth, with your servant Francis our Pope, and Michael our Bishop, the order of bishops, all the clergy, and the entire people you have gained for your own. Listen graciously to the prayers of this family whom you have summoned before you. 
In your compassion, O merciful Father, gather to yourself all your children scattered throughout the world. To our departed brothers and sisters, and to all who are pleasing to you at their passing from this life, give kind admittance to your kingdom. There we hope to enjoy forever the fullness of your glory. Through Christ our Lord, through whom you bestow on the world all that is good. Through him and with him and in him, O God, Almighty Father, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all glory and honor is yours forever and ever. Amen. Receptis salutaribus moniti, et divina institutione formati, audemus indicere, Pater Noster, we as in celis, sanctifice tuur nomen tuum, adveniat regnum tuum, fiat voluntas tua, sicut in celo et in terra, panem nostrum coditianum, da nobis hodie, et imite nobis debita nostra, Sicud et nos dimitimus, debitoribus nostris, et ne nos inducas in tentationem, sed libera nos amalo. Deliver us, Lord, we pray, from every evil, and graciously grant peace in our days, that by the help of your mercy we may be always free from sin and safe from all distress as we await the blessed hope and the coming of our Savior, Jesus Christ. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, now and forever. Lord Jesus Christ, who said to your apostles, Peace I leave you, my peace I give you. Look not on our sins, but on the faith of your church, and graciously grant her peace and unity in accordance with your will, who live and reign forever and ever. Amen. The peace of the Lord be with you always. And with your spirit. Let us offer each other the sign of peace. peace. Agnus Dei, qui tollis peccata mundi, miserere nobis. Agnus Dei, qui tollis peccata mundi, Miserere nobis, Agnus Dei, qui tollis peccatam undi, dona nobis pacem. Behold the Lamb of God, behold him who takes away the sins of the world. Blessed are those called to the supper of the Lamb. Lord, I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof, but only say the word, and my soul shall be healed. An act of spiritual communion. My Jesus, 
I believe that you are present in the most holy sacrament. I love you above all things, and I desire to receive you into my soul. Since I cannot at this moment receive you sacramentally, come at least spiritually into my heart. I embrace you as if you were already there, and unite myself wholly to you. Never permit me to be separated from you. Amen. Jesus, my Lord, my God, my all, how can I love Thee as I ought? And how revere this wondrous gift, so far surpassing hope or thought. Sweet sacrament we thee adore, O make us love thee more and more. O make us love thee more and more. Had I but Mary's sinless heart, to love thee with my dearest King. Oh, with what bursts of fervent praise thy goodness, Jesus, would I sing. Sweet sacrament we thee adore, Oh, make us love thee more and more. Oh, make us love thee more and more. Let us pray. May your sacraments, O Lord, we pray, perfect in us what lies within them that what we now celebrate in signs we may one day possess in truth through Christ our Lord. Amen. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Go and announce the gospel of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let all things now living a song of thanksgiving to God our Creator triumphantly raise, who fashioned and made us, protected and stayed us, by guiding us on to the end of our days. God's banners are o'er us, pure The Prayer to St. Michael St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. 
Prayer of Deliverance Almighty God and Father, we beg Thee through the intercession and help of the Archangels St. Michael, Raphael, and Gabriel for the deliverance of our brothers and sisters who are enslaved by the evil one from anxiety, sadness, and obsessions. We implore Thee, deliver us, O Lord. From hatred, fornication, and envy. We implore Thee, deliver us, O Lord. From thoughts of jealousy, rage, and death. We implore Thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every thought of suicide and abortion. We implore Thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every form of sinful sexuality. We implore Thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every division in our family and every harmful friendship. We implore Thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every sort of spell, malefice, witchcraft, and every form of the occult. We implore Thee, deliver us, O Lord. Thou who said, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, grant that through the intercession of the Virgin Mary we may be liberated from every demonic influence and enjoy thy peace always. In the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. Celebrating the culture of life, this is the Guadalupe Radio Network. Radio for your soul. I'm Travis Wade with Property Clinic Real Estate Transformation.